This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hi, I'm Dan from Desert Island Dicks, and if you want to know the kind of guy I am, I just unplugged an SD card from my computer without ejecting it properly first. I did try and eject it properly first, but it wouldn't let me, and then I just ejected it anyway, and then it said, you didn't eject it properly, and I'm like, God, what's a man to do? I'm only trying my best here, but uh, that's how it's going with me today. Um, Look, this is Desert Island Dicks, and our guest today is the comedian Ignacio Lopez. He is half Spanish, half Welsh. He lives in Cardiff at the moment. It's an interesting mix, and he's an interesting man, and I think you'll enjoy this episode. Um, It was lovely chatting with him. One of the choices he picked was was someone who's annoying in queues and stands in front of you just talking for ages when you've got to get stuff done. And then after we recorded, I was in Superdrug and I had an experience with exactly this sort of person. But annoyingly, we'd already recorded. Tell you what, if we'd recorded after this experience in Superdrug, I would have had a lot more to say about that person because, by God, they were annoying me when I was in that queue in a hurry. Anyway, look... That's not to say we didn't have lots to say on the subject of the queuing person and more people besides that were getting on our nerves. So uh, drink it in and have a good listen. Before you do, I want to put out a pitch for our um, sister podcast, Compact Dicks. And that's where listeners, you people, get to have your say on who and what you would hate to be stuck on an island with. Um, It's loads of fun. You can get in touch at dickspod.com slash contact. That's dickspod.com slash contact. You can also get in touch on Instagram and Twitter at dickspod. Just send us a DM and uh, we might include you in the next one. We haven't done one for a little while because I'm always really bad at remembering to ask you for submissions. So yeah, if you could send in your submissions of who and what you'd hate to be stuck on an island with, it doesn't even have to be from the categories that we talk about in the podcast, can be anything, then we will include you in the next one, I hope. So that would be lovely. And uh, until then, have a week free of dicks. We will be back with a new episode next week. And I think we're going to put out a retro one in the week as well to give you another chance to listen to an old one that you might have missed. So that's that. Here is Desert Index with Ignacio Lopez. And I'll be back at the end for more waffling. Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is comedian Ignacio Lopez. How are you doing? Good, man. Thanks for having me on your desert island. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for coming on. Now, um, you're based in Cardiff today. Yes. How's Cardiff treating you? you how's, How's your mood? Good man. I think uh, I'm I'm barely ever here, so it's just nice to be home. To be honest, I'm always on the road. I was in Belgium last week, then York, Glasgow, uh, Machantleth out west, Midwest Wales, mm. and now now home for two nights <laughs> before back on the road. <laughs> two nights. Yeah. So I mean, doing all that traveling and getting tired and stuff. Does that mean you 
find yourself being a bit of a ranty person or are you pretty calm in general? I think I'm quite laid back, but uh, I'm very impatient. So I can sometimes lose my temper, but I, I think I'm quite internal with it. Okay. People might say otherwise. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess now, hopefully, this will give you the perfect opportunity to externalize all your anger. <laughs> and um, hopefully it will leave you a calmer, better person and not turn you into a raging madman. <laughs> I don't this, know. This could be the straw that broke the camel's back, man. This could be the thing that drives me on my rampage. Let's find out. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I feel. I do feel bad sometimes. Some people afterwards go, "Oh, that was really relaxing," and some people go, "God, I'm in a really bad mood now." <laughs> so um, I don't know. But look, you're stranded on a desert island for the purposes of this podcast, and uh, you know you're surrounded by people and things that you hate. Let's start with the people. Who's going to be the person, the first person joining you on the island? Uh, so this is, the the premise is I got to pick the people I least want to be on an island with, right? That's it. Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in Mallorca, so obviously there's lots to choose from, mainly British tourists. But mm. I'm gonna go with uh, Nigel Farage. I think the worst of all the British tourists. Yeah. <laughs> caused more damage abroad than I think most modern day Brits have, anyway. Yeah, I mean. He's someone who I saw a clip of him the other day, and he's someone that like is sort of because he only sort of pops in and out of things. You know, he'll like come in, do a load of damage, fuck off again for a while, and it's almost easy to forget that he exists. And then you're like, oh god, you're still there, just being horrible. So, what what are your feelings about him? Well, the media love to remind us. I don't know any politician who's got as much airtime for doing as little work in the history of UK politics. You know, he, he got voted into European Parliament, didn't do anything. Like his whole position there was just in protest of something he disagreed with, which I can understand. You know, most institutions have issues that people have problems with. But, you know, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And he was basically running a campaign on let's chuck that baby out of the bath at the <laughs> same time. Like that's that was his whole modus operandi. So very frustrating human being, stoked up a lot of division. He's just a bitter, horrible man inside out. I couldn't imagine being on an island with him. And if he was on an island with me, we'd have no chance of escaping because he's so anti-free movement. We wouldn't even be allowed to leave the island. You know, it'd be terrible. Yeah. I mean, I think the only fun to be had with him would be pointing out that he's now an immigrant. Yeah. That would wear thin after a while. So. <laughs> I think he got, you know, he's one of the people who applied immediately for German citizenship or a German passport or something anyway. Just the typical hypo hypocrisy of uh, of somebody who stokes division and hmm. and riles people up and then has a, an exit strategy themselves, you know. So it's just, just an absolute worm. I'd hate to be on an island with him. I'm not sharing my food whatsoever. <laughs> it would be a tricky dynamic, wouldn't it? Because you think, well, while I wouldn't, care that much if he suddenly was no longer around i wouldn't actively try and kill him but then <laughs> you don't want to share your island with him but you, you know it's like do i kill him you know i am still a decent person so like just the dynamics of it suddenly just get a lot more complicated than they need to be with him i think what i'd have to worry about is um well there's a few things firstly that he would assume that i'm working for him in some way, shape, or form on the island, just hearing my accent. He'd just assume whatever the island was, uh, that it was, you know, sovereign nation of the UK or something, uh, and that I'd be an immigrant, you know, even though he'd be an immigrant on the island as well. And the worst fear for me, if I was trapped on an island, why I wouldn't want to be, is what if he turns out to be a nice guy? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I don't want that on my conscience. I'm happy just disliking him from a distance. I don't use the word hate because... 
is a very strong word, uh, but because uh, I don't know the guy, I just know that he's a hypocrite and uh, and he's done a lot of bad stuff. I'm here, I am on an island with him. It's the worst, worst of all all scenarios. Yeah, and I bet he's somewhere got like a tiny little Union Jack in his in his pocket <laughs> somewhere, so he can like put it into the sand and claim the island as his. Definitely, he's he's. This is a guy who, on a desert island, I guarantee he would take a Union Jack towel, mm. you know, just to lay it down. If there's no deck chair, just straight on the sand. Yeah, he'd be there. He'd be like, "Yeah, this is my, this is the part of the UK now." And he'd hear you've got a non-English accent and start talking to you really <laughs> loudly, even though your English is perfect. He just, yeah. like, he wouldn't be able to help himself. It'd just be his instant reaction. We'd be arguing over fishing rights, you know, trying to get food. It would be really stressful, man. I can't, I can't picture it. Worst case scenario, we somehow manage to get some booze and I have a drink with a guy and we end up having a nice chat and, you know, enjoying each other's company. But a lot of the time, these hypocrites, you know, they, they're happy to preach something and, and don't do it at home. So that's the worry. I, I'm happy just for him to be a figure of, figure of disdain at the distance. I don't want him on an island with me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many people like in his camp to choose from, but there's something about like, you know, if you think of someone like Boris Johnson, who's got, you know, similarly hypocritical views and is also very damaging. And, you know, sometimes a lot of people go, oh, you know, you can imagine having a pint with him. He's just a normal bloke and all of this sort of thing. Like even his his face doesn't annoy me quite as much as Farage. Like Farage, just his face is like, it's just this sort of like something very frog-like about him. You know, he's just got that weird saggy neck and like there's just something so unlikable about his face. So even if you were mates, you'd have to wake up and see that. I think it's uh, I also the way you know the way he dresses. I think it's a very carefully constructed, uh, with like with a lot of these people, carefully constructed like eccentricities. You know, they're trying to look eccentric. They wear you know absurd colored trousers to try and detract the fact that they don't have a personality. Mm. You know, they're just trying to be colorful and interesting people. Whereas really, they they seem quite dull and bitter deep down. They, these are the kids who they couldn't even be friends with the bullies in school. <laughs> And now they've got an opportunity to somehow one-up everything. It's just a sad state of affairs, man. Don't want him on that island. No, <laughs> get, it's true. Get him off. Let's have a vote. <laughs> I remember having a panic attack in a taxi one night. Full disclosure, I was quite stoned. And I got into a cab and it was when like Brexit had happened. But you know, they had like a party in Parliament Square. Oh, God. And the taxi driver had LBC on the news, uh, on the on the radio. And it was all these people celebrating Brexit. You know, whatever your political allegiance, that's one thing. But they were like, there was Nigel Farage going, oh, I've just been on the phone to President Trump. And I was like, fucking hell, like, this is reality now. Oh, my God. And I started, like, my breathing went all funny. And I had to, like, stumble out of the cab. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what is this world we're living in? And now it feels like I was lurched back a little bit, still not. You know, I mean, it feels slightly like one step removed, a little bit, but you know, it's still a bit mental, isn't it? But well, we, you just get to the point where you're just celebrating any minor victory. You know, if um, if a politician who's like caused great damage to the country and stoked up a lot of hate, if something minor happens to them, everyone's cheering as if they've been ousted out of public office and stuff, but they haven't. You know, it was it was quite positive to see him not winning. His elections, uh, and you know, I remember seeing uh, Al Mari and was it the who else ran against him? Was it uh, the Binhead guy? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know which one it was, but I just remember maybe Labour won in that seat or or the Conservatives. I'm not sure, but it was nice to see him not win, even though you know you're right. Like you said, it slid so far one direction 
that uh, you know we're not quite back to a level of tolerance, but uh, we're slightly edging. Closer yeah. to uh, <laughs> to a nicer society. There's a glimmer of hope there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's a very strong first choice. Obviously, I think few would argue with Nigel Farage on the island. Who else is going to join him? Who's your next choice? Well, someone who's done, I think, just as much damage uh, is Jamie Oliver. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jamie Oliver. Now, what's what's your thoughts about Jamie? This feels very petty because you know I understand he's trying to do a good thing and uh, and make people healthier and better. Obviously, he got vilified for taking turkey Twizzlers away from kids or whatever it was. Um, but I, I don't know. There's something about his demeanor, even before that whole car crash of a PR incident, where his business went under. I think owing a lot of workers. He opened up a, a place called Jamie's Italian. I think that was the one that went under, or potentially. Mm. I think most of the time, I think let people be who they are and and whatever. But he just seems too chirpy, too too <laughs> cheerful. You know, certainly don't like seeing him on the TV. Uh, you know, cooking away there, shouting things like Bosch and stuff as he's chucking into the pot. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, mate, come on, man, he's cooking. Let's take this seriously. It's not, uh, it's not a kids' TV show. I mean, you've you've driven the kids away. You know, you've uh, <laughs> it hasn't worked. You've lost your core audience. He's been a bit quiet for a while, hasn't he? It sort of seems like he's gone to ground a bit and he's sort of taking stock of things. And I don't know when he's going to emerge. I suppose like Nigel Farage. Like, I don't know when he's going to pop back up. <laughs> I suppose if I was stuck on an island with him, you know, at least you've got the cooking skills. And you'd hope that at some point he'd just be a bit more of a normal guy when he's not in front of the camera or something. Yeah, I think he's one of those people that on paper, he seems fine, you know, and I can see him in snippets and be like, yeah, that's fine. But then he just does things that bug me. You know, you just come across people in real, you know, everyday life who just want, like, they rile you up, they rub you up the wrong way. And I think that's just who Jamie is for me. I can just picture being on an island with him and him just really getting on my nerves. <laughs> I'd be like, Jamie, dial it back a bit, okay? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to lose my temper on this island. And, you know, Nigel Farage is not going to hold me back. I don't think he'll touch me. So you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird with that whole Jamie's Italian thing. Because it's like, I remember when he did the program and he went to Italy and he was like, well, here's how they do it traditionally. I'm going to do my take on it. And obviously, you know, the Italians, they're passionate about food, but they're very sort of, no, this is how it's done here. Like, we don't put parsley on this pasta. They might do it in that town five miles that way but this isn't how my grandmother makes it. You know, they're very sort of like rigid in some ways. Yeah. And so obviously his approach, like, I'm just going to spruce it up a bit with this. And they're like, fuck off, Jamie. I'd always rather go to an Italian restaurant that has some sort of vague illusion of being run by an Italian person. Man, you know, it could be three generations in, all right, but none of them should have the surname Oliver. You want some authenticity when you go to a restaurant. I mean, maybe his food's great. I don't know. I can't remember trying it. I do know that from a friend of a friend who shoots food pictures for magazines, books, and stuff like that, they said of all of the TV chefs that they take pictures of and stuff for books and things that um, Jamie is one of the only ones who actually writes their own recipe. Like it's not ghostwritten or anything. So he he does the work. Mm. But at the same time, it's like if you go to a restaurant, you want to see some, if it's an Italian restaurant, you want to see some Italian people there. If you go to a Spanish restaurant, you know, there better be a Juan rolling around in that kitchen somewhere. But, you know, you need... Yeah. You need some authenticity, man. Yeah, I remember going for a curry in Leicester once and one of the waiters was a white guy, which is obviously like, you know, equal opportunities. Like, why shouldn't you be a waiter here? But I was a bit like, yeah, I don't know. And then I said something like, oh, can I get some writer? And he was just like, what's that? And I'm like, 
okay, like if I'm explaining the fucking menu to you as well, <laughs> come on, come on, who let this guy in here? Yeah, Jamie Oliver, I think, yeah, that's it. It could go either way, couldn't it, with him? And behind it all as well, he's, a, you know, he's a very famous, very wealthy man and probably has been treated quite preferentially for a number of years. So there's always that bit of star quality that's going to take a bit of breaking down before he just becomes normal Jamie on the island that you can actually interact with in a normal way. Yeah, for sure. And he'd probably be, I can imagine him being quite whiny and missing, is it Jules, his partner as well? Mm. Yeah, I just, uh, I can't picture it being a good person to hang with on a desert island. I think as well, I can imagine Nigel Farage trying to be all really pally with him as well. And like, you know, great British blokes like us, Jamie, you know, <laughs> nothing better than a great British ale. Like, shut up. <laughs> or a great, great British Italian pasta, you know, like, yeah. it's just, yeah, it'd be a mess. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay, so we've got two of them. Who's the third person going to be on the island? The third person uh, is, I don't know their name, but it's a specific person I think very many people could uh, relate to. It's that guy who's at the front of a queue, holding the entire queue up, asking completely irrelevant questions. <laughs> you know, just holding up the whole queue. It's happened. He's there. He's everywhere. We all know this guy. I don't know his name. It's probably Nigel. It's probably another Nigel. Front of the queue. Could be passport control. Could be the front of a bar, you know, asking for... How local is this ale? You know, just asking specifics. Could be a shop, a cafe, anything. There's just always some guy who's just talking and talking and talking. It's like, mate, get served. Get the fuck out of our way. All right. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a patient person. We don't queue in Spain. We've got a very different system. If we go into any situation where British people would usually queue, we will go in, we'll say, who was here last? Who was the last person to arrive? Whoever puts their hand up, we're like, cool. We're basically after that person. We're not going to stand in a line anywhere. We're going to go do what we want. And then when that person's been served, we're next. We know. That's how it works. That's a good format. It's a great system. It means you don't have to stand there getting annoyed with people getting too close to you. You know, people are, even before the pandemic, some people had some serious personal space issues. Mm. <laughs> you know? There's, you know, there's science behind it. They say that um, if you're standing in a queue, you should be your arm length away from the person in front. Well, some people must have been using like an action man arm or something to measure the distance between <laughs> between me. Sometimes it's just it's just I can't I can't handle just standing in a queue, man. I'm very very impatient. It's not a good trait to have. I know that's my issue, but also that guy at the front of the queue holding it all up, he's the linchpin in this whole thing, man. It's all falling apart because of him. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I can't get over the fact that the Spanish system of queuing I think is so brilliant because I've been to countries where there is. No queuing at all, but it's also just like everyone shouting and barging in. And that's incredibly frustrating. But you've kind of got the best of both worlds. Like, I don't have to queue, but I've still got a space. Yeah. Ah, oh, you know, we left Europe and we still have so much to learn. <laughs> it's just infuriating. Um, yeah, that guy, I mean, I think it's, it's so symptomatic of just generally like not being able to read the room at all. You know, it's like if he's that guy in the queue, he's also just sort of walking too slowly down the pavement. He's also kind of not putting his phone away when the lights go down in the cinema. He's kind of like walking into a room loudly when some people have had bad news. It's just like all of those things, isn't it? It's the type of people who think that their time is more important than everyone else's around them. It's like mm. we're all here trying to get something done. And it's just completely disconnect from all of that and just be like, no, I've got some questions that need answering. And they, they're always irrelevant. They don't need to be asked. I was in a cafe recently. I'm, I'm waiting to go up to the counter. You have to order your food in the counter. 
And I ended up walking out without getting served because I was getting so frustrated with this guy asking all of these questions about the produce and where it came from and like all of this kind of stuff. Not not even dietary requirements, you know, not even asking like, oh, it doesn't contain any of this. No, just like, oh, so where do you get, you know, your satsumas or whatever? Like, <laughs> who cares, man? <laughs> In a shop, okay? In a shop, like everybody else, like just... Order your food, sit down and shut up. It's post-Brexit Britain. Just be glad there is fruit still available. <laughs> I did a show recently in London in a restaurant, and there should never have been a comedy night there. I was performing to a dozen people in a room that fit 100. They weren't told there was going to be comedy happening. These gigs still happen, by the way. They shouldn't. <laughs> Someone should say no to these, but unfortunately... You know, I need the money more than I need my dignity. <laughs> so I'm there in a restaurant and a guy walks in while I'm performing, doing FaceTime on his phone, having a full conversation, comes and sits in the seat closest to where I'm standing in the middle of the restaurant, sits down and continues to have this conversation. Wow. These are the people I'm talking about. They, <laughs> they're in their own world. They don't realize anything else is going on around them. Very frustrating. I can imagine... If there's anyone going to get pushed off the raft, if we're trying to escape this island, it's going to be this guy asking too many questions. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And it's those sort of people like, they'll hold you up for ages. And then if they see you kind of getting a bit fidgety or something, they're like, oh, some people are always in a hurry. It's like, <laughs> you don't know what I'm doing today. Like, I've got to do this. I've got to pick my kids up from school. I've got to then do blah, blah, blah. It's like, just because you've got all the time in the world today, it doesn't mean everyone does, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, these people are going to drive you mad. And I think just anything that needs doing, it's just going to be just take too long and just be drawn out or like just always asking you questions when you're just trying to get some fish and survive. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a very good and very annoying uh, answer. So I think, yeah, you've got a good trio of people there who are very irritating indeed. Now, mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favorite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? Okay, food-wise, and this could be quite controversial. Um, I don't know if Jamie sells it, serves it in his restaurants, but the thing I hate the most food-wise is jacket potatoes, man. <laughs> okay. I, I absolutely hate them. Um Anyone who loves Jackie Potatoes doesn't even like Jackie Potatoes. They love all of the crap you pile on top of the Jackie Potato. You know, they're like, no, man, you go, I go to this Jackie Potato place, you know, big mound of beans, cheese, you know, all of this sort of stuff. Or like they go the other way, like chili, you know, all of the Whatever the topping is on your Jackie Potato, that's what you're enjoying about the Jackie Potato. This huge lump of carbohydrates, <laughs> you know, in a coat, <laughs> like underneath <laughs> this mound of actual food. Uh, it's not good for you, you know. Oh, I slather it with butter. You like butter, all right? <laughs> we get it. Stick it on something that's already nice and not boring and dull, like a jacket potato, and despise them. <laughs> yeah, I think I suppose it's, it's controversial in in the fact that I think it's quite a neutral food, you know. Like, <laughs> so it seems like a funny thing to get annoyed about. But I get what you mean. Like, in terms of what you can do with a potato, it is. It's not really the star of the show, though, is it? It's the one that takes the least effort, you know? It's like but also the wrap it up time. and stick it in the oven. Exactly, man. It's so frustrating. And I told you already, I'm an impatient guy. <laughs> and I like authenticity. This has no character whatsoever. It's the Nigel Farage foods, you know? Hmm. I'd see people in the workplace and they'll just get one every day. And I just think, where's the joy? Like, I don't mind one now and again, you know? Like, I'm, like I think they're fine. I've got no real beef against them. But, like... 
when you see people eating them over and over again, it's not like, oh, today I've got salsa, today I've got chili, today I've got just beans and, and, and cheese or whatever. But it's like, oh, yeah, what's that tuna with tuna and cheese jacket? Yeah, again. Yeah, oh, you like them, don't you? Yeah, yeah, go on then. There's something quite just sad about it, you know. It's very depressing, man. It's a, it's a depressing food, I think. And it can look exciting with the colors and stuff you chuck on top. But I just, you could eat that stuff without the potato. I'll tell you what annoys me about them the most is my mom keeps forgetting that I hate jockey potatoes. <laughs> so like every time I go visit, my mom's like, oh, you know, we're doing this and this and we're having jockey potatoes. I'm like, I told you I don't like jockey potatoes. She goes, since when? Since forever. <laughs> I've never liked jockey potatoes. So I'm forced to eat them because I'm a good son. <laughs> Yeah, like roast potatoes, chip. Like, there's so many good things to do to a potato, and yeah, it does take a long time, and you don't get then anything that interesting out of it. So, yeah, for something just plain to eat over and over again on an island, that's pretty I think good. on a on a desert island, if all we have is jacky potatoes, I mean, even that, I'm sure that would drive Jamie Oliver nuts. If anyone's going to snap first, it's going to be this guy. You know, it's just it's so bland and and boring. Yeah, it's the greyest of the foods. I don't like it whatsoever. <laughs> Cool. Okay. And uh, what's your uh, drink choice going to be? Uh, also controversial, I think. Some people are not going to appreciate this until I explain the reason why. It's cider, apple cider. Yeah. Which I understand is a staple of uh, of the British diet as well. Like lots <laughs> of people do like a cider. Um, I, me personally, I'm a beer drinker. When I was 16, I drank a three liter bottle of cider, mm. and uh, that was it for me. I can never drink it again. That was not a nice experience. I can't even remember who I was showing off to, but it was a mistake. <laughs> and I regret it wholeheartedly. Even the smell of it now. Everyone's got that one drink that they got drunk on when they were younger. And uh, I, I can't even smell it now without uh, being thrown back in time to that uh, that moment. Yeah. like I think it's so many people's gateway drink, isn't it, Cider? It's like our country's sort of starter beer. <laughs> and I had a similar thing. I remember still one of the drunkest I've ever been was like 14 you know i went to my friend's house and he was from quite a tough area and um turbo white is called and we had a bottle <laughs> each and like you just had to sit in the park because we were too young to get into any of the pubs and you just neck the whole thing and like i just remember having all these gaps in my memories and then i went back like a month later with some other friends and they were like you almost got beat up do you remember what you said to him and i was like no, like just awful things. And, and then trying to be really well behaved that next night. And my friends who were going, oh, I'm going to have the whole bottle. And I was like, don't do it. And then exactly <laughs> the same thing happened to them. It is a rite of passage, I think. But it, it, it that for me, that wrote it off. I feel like uh, I downloaded that three liter bottle of, uh, I can't remember if it was White Lightning or Strongbow. It was mm. one of the two. Yeah. Which, you know, and I know people would say like, mate, that's not proper cider. That's not good stuff. And yeah, I get that. But I can't even like enjoy the good stuff now because uh, because that has just thrown it for me completely. That sweet apple taste is just gone. But then, you know, you talk about the good stuff. So at one end, you've got like diamond white and it's like fizzy and like horrendous. And on the other side, there's like, you know, you go to somewhere like Bristol and there's like, you go to a cider bar and it's like 7% and it's flat and it's like quite dry, you know, sort of like sticks your lips, your yeah. teeth. It's like... Whoa, this is sharp. And again, it like gets you so pissed. And like I think there are nice ciders, but they're sort of hidden quite well amongst like a sea of shit. Like whether it's like the artisanal posh stuff from the West Country or like the crap you get in the corner shop. 
I think like many things, people, uh, it's got that level of, you've got that crowd who are pretentious as well. So they're like, mm. no, it's not proper cider unless, you know, it's still got bits of dirt from the apples that we mm. picked, stole from a tree, <laughs> from like the vicar's <laughs> orchard or something. <laughs> like it's not um, like that scrumpy, is that what it's called? That's a type of cider, mm. right? Is that yeah. the, they call it. But you're, no, you're right, man. It's uh, There's probably a couple of nice ones in there somewhere, but I'm not willing to delve through the <laughs> the horrors yeah to get there and then you get this sort of like strongbow dark fruits and it's like it feels like you've melted a load of ice lollies and put some ice in there and then and some extra sugar and then just given it and it's like this isn't this just admit you don't really like the taste of alcohol (laughs) (laughs) with the with the strongbow dark fruit i think it's um i think they saw people in pubs around the country ordering cider and black Hmm. And they just thought, oh, we have to capitalize on this. And I think they destroyed the cordial movement. <laughs> you know, I think I think they've got. I think Strongbow's got a. You know, they should. They should have. There's a lawsuit on their hands somewhere for, from a cordial company. <laughs> I remember Strongbow did like an ad campaign, and it was like three men lying on the beach until they were just so dried out that they'd crawl to the bar and then neck a Strongbow. And the other one was like. Someone seeing how many like crackers they could eat before like then downing a pint. And it's like, this isn't saying it's refreshing. This is just like in those situations you would drink literally anything because your mouth is so dry. Is that all is that all you've got? <laughs> it's wet. It makes sense that uh, you know, the one drink available on that desert island is gonna be strongbow from a strongbow stall, because that's their target audience, is people who are so desperate for any form of liquid. That's gonna refresh them. No, I couldn't deal with it, man. That's gonna be. I'm gonna. I'm gonna dehydrate to death. That's what's gonna happen. <laughs> it's a good choice. It's a good choice. Okay. Now, fortunately, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck. It only has two working settings. One is your least favorite film of all time, and the other is your least favorite song. What are they, and why? So, film is. Uh which potentially could have a, a bunch of songs in it as well that I would hate to listen to. So it's kind of a double whammy, uh, is Mamma Mia, mm-hmm. um, the the original, the first one. I know there was a sequel as well. The reason it holds a particularly uncomfortable place in my life is because I worked in a cinema when it came out. Ooh. And uh, yeah, and I'll tell you what, man, you know, people think kids are messy. There is nothing messier than a group of, you know, 50 plus women just singing their hearts out, flinging popcorn, sneaking Prosecco into the screen and going wild to Mamma Mia. It was like, it was like a war zone, you know, it's like you're cleaning up after a war zone. There's like people there missing limbs, you know, it's just it's <laughs> terrifying. And they're singing the songs as they're walking out to, you know, the credits are playing. It, this is before they even did the sing-along version, which was a thing that hit the screens a few months later just to torture everyone working in that cinema a bit longer. So it was, uh, that that film has a very, uh, I still wake up in a cold sweat thinking about it sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's quite an odd thing, isn't it? Because you've got ABBA and then you've got this plot of a film and we're going to smash them together. Yeah. Why is this? Why is this happening? There's nothing to tie it to. There's nothing related to ABBA, like the Swedish pop group. But what is it? It's set on a Greek island. It's an American, a British cast. Like I don't get it, man. My the manager of the cinema I worked in as well is like the biggest ABBA fan of all time. So he went all out in promoting it, and you know, just it just is a bohemoth. 
of a film ABBA is so popular mm. the thing is I'm not I'm not a huge ABBA fan but I don't dislike them and like musically incredibly well written songs very talented like the ultimate pop group really and then even if you are an ABBA fan why would you want to hear other people <laughs> doing covers of ABBA songs strung together mm. with a bad plot you know yeah, I find the more I like an artist, the less I want to hear a cover version. You know what I mean? Like, because I'm a big yeah. David Bowie fan, and people go, "Oh, I'll listen to this cover." I'm like, "Don't want to," because it no. would just annoy me. It's like hearing someone in the office singing along to something that I like. It's like I don't, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I want, I want the one I like. Exactly. Yeah, good choice. Um, what would your uh, song choice be then? Ah, uh, the Macarena. Oh God, yes. I've, I hate it for a number of reasons. One, obviously, because uh, I'm Spanish, I grew up in Spain, and you know it's it, it's the perennial kids' party song. It's the you know the song the tourists listen to. It's the kids' clubs always play them abroad. When I was in, uh, you know, my dad was running hotels and bars and stuff. And even when you come to the UK, you know, it's it's still played at sort of weddings and everything. It always comes on. Everyone knows this stupid dance move, which isn't really a dance, is it? It's just an excuse to get everyone involved, which I appreciate. But if it wasn't such a rubbish, annoying song. Mm. <laughs> and even now, I've got, I live opposite a primary school. I don't know if you've heard them at any point because it's just kids screaming perpetually. It's a nightmare. <laughs> but they play like they they blast out music. It's often like modern pop songs. I'm like, come on, like kids don't like this music. Sometimes they'll whip out uh, like Rick Rick Astley or something. I feel like I'm getting Rick rolled in my own flat. But the other day they played the Macarena and I'm like looking out. I'm like, none of these kids know the song. They don't even know the dance. Why are they playing this song? I don't know how it's made its way into the rotation That's bizarre. of an entire society. Yeah. <laughs> and did it exist in Spain before it came here or was it because... Yeah, it, it was well a long time ago. So it's by a band called Los Rios, I think. Mm. And um, the it was a song, like just a guitar song, and then obviously they did a remix of it, and it became very popular with with a woman singing over it as well. So it, it did hit the charts and stuff everywhere worldwide. It was a, a phenomenon, but it's so annoying. It's the equivalent of like uh, I'm trying to think of a British equivalent. It, it feels like a Timmy Mallet song or something. I mean, I think it's like that for a lot of us as well. It's just, yeah. I mean, it's the sort of thing you go to like some auntie's 70th birthday in a church hall and it's one of those DJs that speaks a bit in between and it's like, okay, everyone on the dance floor for this, you know the moves. And it's like, oh, and you get some old relative going, come on, Dan. You're like, no, there is no fucking way on God's <laughs> earth I'm dancing to this fucking tune. <laughs> like, but it's fucking terrible and i don't know why people persist with it like because it's been like must be like 30 years old now it's getting on yeah i think the original came out in the 60s or something a long time ago uh, and it's been it's made its way through it keeps finding its way out somehow uh of the vault that <laughs> it keeps getting locked in and thrown away the key um like a curse i think we can't we can't close pandora's box can we it's been opened no. but like the worst thing is if it ever comes on uh i perform on cruise ships and stuff as well sometimes it'll make its way onto a playlist there and like all the other guest entertainers or whatever they'll always whoever i'm out with if margarina plays my, like my british friends and stuff they'll always like look to me as if to say ah Ah, <laughs> Spanish song, right? You you guys love this, right? I'm like, no, like this, it's it's got no no connection to it anyway. No no reverence for it. It's just a it's just a rubbish pop song that would drive me nuts within I think three plays on the desert island. Yeah, it's not like because I understand the lyrics, it means so much more to me. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the song is in English, you know. It's only the chorus really that's uh, 
that's in uh, Spanish, I think. But uh, oh, it's just a terrible, terrible song. <laughs> it is a really bad song. It's it's the same. It, like my son somehow just found like he keeps digging up songs on YouTube that I think have died that are from my youth, like things like the Macarena, but like new versions with like animated like stuff on to get kids into them. So there was like he found Crazy Frog, which I just thought was like. We'd never have to deal with again. He got into that. And then last week, he started listening to this version of um, Scatman John. You know, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. And like, that's very much the same ballpark, same sort of era as well. Like, And I was like, I thought I'd never have to hear this song again. Suddenly, you want to put it on your playlist that we listen to in the car that's got some quite good tunes on it. Now we've got to add fucking Scatman John on there. <laughs> and yeah, it's like one step away from the Macarena. It's uh, a good choice to go mad to on the island. Okay, now, finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? So I was thinking long and hard about this because I hate mosquitoes like, with a passion. So that was going to be my choice. Uh, but I think there's a more, because at least mos- mosquitoes tend to only bug you at night. You can hear them coming. You know, I've got a very well-tuned ear for mosquitoes, especially growing up high temperature climate where it's quite a risk and they carry so much disease and stuff. Hmm. There's lots of things you can do to deal with mosquitoes. The ones I think that would be the worst if they've overrun a place is seagulls. They are the biggest pricks of the animal kingdom. Yes. I can't even, I hate them. That's, you know, I don't use that word lightly. I hate seagulls. All right. They, they terrify everyone, kids. They, they come in, they steal food. They're like, they're like the Vikings of the bird world. You know, they come in, they just do what they like bully other smaller animals. It's just a horrible thing to witness. Mm. Also, they'd be at home on a desert island. You know what I mean? Like this this is like their terrain. I think they'd be even more annoying than usual. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're so big as well. Like they're massive and they're so aggressive. Like, you know, because it's not like, oh, this bird ate out of my hand. It's like that bird beat me up and mugged me. <laughs> that bird took a finger, you know, yeah. as it snatched my chips. Yeah, yeah. Or my Jackie potato, unfortunately. <laughs> Because I used to live in Brighton, so obviously it's like their spiritual home, you know. <laughs> and you'd get off the train and be like, oh, the seagulls, that sounds nice. And by the sea. And after you've lived there for a while, it's like you loud, screeching bastards. They never sleep. Like, they never sleep. 24 hours a day they're around. And they're just infuriating. Like, everyone's got a story about being mugged for something by a seagull. Like My friend once was, like, so skint, he had his last five pounds in the bank, took it out the cash machine, went to buy, like, a pasty and was walking along, and it was a bit hot. So while he's waiting for it to cool down, he's walking along. Seagull snatched the entire thing from his hand <laughs> and sat on a lamppost just tossing it around to try and cool it down. And he's, like, just literally shaking his fists in the air at this thing. But, yeah, like, I've, I know so many people being attacked by them or dive-bombed by them. They're just awful. They're monsters, man. And they, you know, what's strange is they're getting more and more inland. You know, it used to be just the coastal times, towns that had to deal with them. I don't know what's happened, um, why, you know, maybe the pandemics played a part in it as well. People not going, you know, out to these places anymore. Tourism decimated. So they've uh, they flocked in inland. So, like, I remember seeing one in uh, in Merthyr Tidville, which is, like, very landlocked part of Wales in the <laughs> middle there of the valley. You know, it's, it's just... Uh, yeah, they they they're spreading. It's getting too far. I feel like I'm the I'm going to be the Nigel Farage of the the seagull world. You know, <laughs> like we don't want them in. We want to take back control of our beaches. Yeah, we you know they're coming here stealing our chips. But it's it's completely you know justified in my place. I'm not being hypocritical. I'm not applying for citizenship in the seagull world or anything. <laughs> I'm saying they are a menace, and we have to watch out for them. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like 
once we've fucked up the world and humans are all gone, it's just going to be urban foxes and seagulls <laughs> battling for world domination. That's all it's going to be. Or maybe before we've wiped ourselves out the way things are going, it would just be those two groups and us kind of like, who knew it was these two things that would bring us together? <laughs> Well, look, I think that would be an incredibly annoying thing to have on a desert island with you. And it, it, it you know, really ne- neatly rounds off uh, a great selection from you today. So uh, well done. And um, I'm sorry you're going to have to spend the rest of your life there. But uh, Oh, no. We <laughs> <laughs> might get rescued. I might get, let's just <laughs> say that you'll get rescued one day or let's draw people's attention away from it. And, and let's talk about some of the stuff you're doing in the real world. Um, you've got some tour dates, I think, later in the year. Is that right? Yeah, hopefully, I think uh, they'll let me off the desert island just in time, October, November, to travel around the UK doing Wales, uh, Scotland, England, uh, all over the place with my show Nine Egg Fails, which is all about the worst gigs I've ever done in my life and the craziest stuff I've done for money. Just It's a solid show, tour show, packed with jokes. Not much anger. <laughs> it's quite a it's quite a relaxed show. This has been quite cathartic. I've enjoyed it. Good. But if you just, if people just want a silly, uh, you know, hour and twenty minutes of stand up with a support act, uh, come and see me on tour. And tickets are all on comedylopez.com. Cool. And we can see your stuff online as well, so we can all look at your stuff as well before then. Brilliant. Well, Ignacio, thank you so much again for coming on Desert Island Dicks today. It's been a pleasure. I swear. Thanks a lot, Dan. Appreciate it. Cheers. So there you go. That was Desert Island. Dicks for you there. Another one off the press. That doesn't make sense because it's not something that's printed. But anyway, look, another one out there in the world. And God knows the world needs another podcast. So um, you're welcome. Thank you to all of you who have listened and downloaded this podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could find the time to give us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, that would be lovely. Uh, We do appreciate it. If not, if you can spread the word in any other ways, like on Twitter or Instagram or just telling your mates, that would be lovely too. And thank you to those of you who have done already. We love you. Desert Island Dicks was a sync clap production. It was dreamt up and produced by James Deacon. It was presented and produced by me, Dan Benedictus. It was expertly edited by Chris Attaway. Thank you, Chris. And as always, we just get ongoing support in the background from the wonderful John Deacon. Not the one from Queen. He doesn't give us any help at all. But the other John Deacon is wonderful. That's it. We'll be back soon with more episodes. So, bye.